Nate. It's been a while since we spoke, just once since the national championship game, but we're moving on to greener pastures here and talking about the Ohio State basketball team, which is surprisingly really shot up the ranks. And yeah, I know we've lost two in a row, but still a top 10 team. Yeah, for uh, for many of you who've, who've been loyal listeners for years now, uh, you know that, that Mike and I love college hoops, but in the past few years, there hasn't been a ton to talk about with with the Ohio State basketball team. I feel like kind of the traditional trajectory for them was, you know, be undefeated through December and then drop seven in a row to start January uh, and then get a five or six seed in the tournament and lose in the second round. So to have a team that at this moment is still projected, even with the last two losses, to be a one seed, there's a lot to be excited about. Is that really the case? I know that Ohio State is the most quad one wins, and I know that's sort of the – I'm still not even totally sure what defines a quad one win. I guess it has to do with, like, <laughs> are you playing on the road? Are you – you know, how good is the team that you're playing? And I know our schedule has been tough, but it's weird to sit there at 18 and 6 because I feel like in a normal year, that's like something that puts you on the 3 or 4 line. But I guess their strength of schedule has just been that good. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. It feels a little bit odd, like you said, at 18 and 6. You look at the three other number one seeds. I've got Michigan, that team up north on in the background right now. I mean, that team is 17 and 1. They're playing great basketball. They just whooped up on a good Iowa team. You've got Gonzaga, 23 and 0, number one team in the nation. And then you got Baylor, who's just come off pause, but I think they're 18 or 19 and 0 as well. And so to look at those top three teams and then skip to an Ohio State team with six losses as that fourth number one seed, that it feels a bit odd, doesn't it? Yeah, and I guess if you look at the losses and you kind of take a you know more of a microscope look at it, the loss to Minnesota by 17 points definitely doesn't sit well. Minnesota is at the back of the Big Ten right now, mm-hmm. uh, six and eleven in conference, thirteen eleven overall. But other than that, all of their losses have been like really close games or on the road. I guess we just haven't been able to solve Purdue. We dropped two games to Purdue. And we lost to Michigan and Michigan State recently, which I know off year for Michigan State, but still you kind of felt going into that game that it, it was going to be tough. It, it's hard to see. But, you know, I, I think importantly, Ohio State, you know, whether we're a one seed or a two seed now uh, – it, it doesn't really matter because we have Iowa and Illinois coming up both at home, both top 10 teams. So, you know, if they could take care of business the last two games, I don't think anyone's going to dispute them deserving that number one spot. For sure, man, for sure. And I think that, you know, the interesting thing, the, the schedule that the Buckeyes still have to go is still two very tough tests for them playing um, against Iowa at home, tomorrow afternoon, Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, and then they wrap up the regular season a week from today against Illinois. So you've got two more top 10 matchups, albeit they're both home games. Um, Mike, when, when we start to look at you know potential seeding with the next two games in mind and then obviously a Big Ten tournament as well, what do you think is the most realistic seed line for Ohio State to have going into the to the NCAA tournament in March? Uh, I think realistically, I, we're probably going to end up splitting the last two games. 
And that may drop us to like the four or five seed in the Big Ten, which is kind of crazy, but that just shows how deep the Big Ten is. And then I think we have a little bit of a run in us. Maybe we win two games and then drop. So I, I think we're probably going to end up at that two seed spot, um, maybe one of the higher two seeds. As long as we're a two seed and we stay out of Gonzaga or Baylor's bracket, uh, I would sign for that right now. I don't think we necessarily have to be the one seed. But either way, whether we're a one, two, or even three seed, it's going to be the highest Ohio State has been going into the tournament under Chris Holtman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, and I think you're right. I think a lot rides on – you know, the, these next few games, you look at the teams beneath Ohio State, you've got 16 and 5, Illinois, uh, Alabama 18 and 5, Oklahoma at 14 and 5, Villanova 14 and 3. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I would expect Ohio State to lose at least one more game, whether that's in the Big Ten tournament or um, if that's to Illinois or Iowa. I think if this team were to just lose its next three straight and go into the to the NCAA tournament on a five-game losing streak, I could see them falling maybe even to a four seed, that four line. But I think you're right. I, I feel like what's most likely is probably the two or the three line, um, obviously depending on how these uh, conference tournaments uh, shape up and so that which is kind of a perfect transition, Mike. What what when you look at the Big Ten tournament you look at this conference as a whole, it is deep, it is loaded. Um, what do you, what, what are the chances that Ohio State has of winning the Big Ten tournament, of being champions in Indianapolis? Uh, it's, it's hard to say because I, I think that if it was any other conference, I'm not going to say like it's 50-50, like I wouldn't say Ohio State versus the field, but I think we just don't match up well. Um, I think we've, we've struggled protecting the rim a little bit. I think sometimes, despite EJ Liddell and Kyle Young both being pretty good big men that have kind of anchored this team, I think we definitely have struggled against these bigger teams, which is why I think we've lost to Purdue twice, um, which is why Michigan took advantage of us. So I, I think that we're probably going to get tripped up along the way. I would put it like a 1 in 10 chance, but that's why all I'm hoping for as a fan is to, is to get a little bit of a deep run because we just – it's it, you know defensively i don't know how much i trust us on the interior and and that is something that i've seen like anecdotally just watching these games and then if you look at the stats like that holds up you know ken palm defensively we're rated 85th in the country whereas offensively we're rated third so you know i don't know how this happened but we kind of turned into you know just an offensive minded team <laughs> yeah i i'm with you i you know look at the at the points given up in Big Ten play, Mike. I'm just going to run through these. He gave up 67, 68, 70, 60, uh, 68, 71, 81, 65, 62, 79, 62, 85, 65, 59, 92, uh, 71. This team is giving up, you know, on average over 70 points a contest, and that that does give me a lot of pause. I actually think I'll make kind of a, a hot take here. I like Ohio State's chances in the NCAA tournament more than the Big Ten tournament, and the reason for that is the three other best teams in the Big Ten tournament have bigs that are can, can be dominant. Michigan has Hunter Dickinson, Isaiah Livers, 
Uh, obviously, Illinois has Kofi Coburn, and then the the Big Ten player and national player of the year, likely Luca Garza, is on Iowa. And I just that feels like a gauntlet for Ohio State. So I expect them to get to the semis and probably lose there. Um, I'll go out and make a bold prediction and say that I, I think Illinois is going to win the Big Ten tournament. I just really like that Io DeSumo kid. Uh, I think he's really going to play well. But I, I think semifinals is maybe our ceiling, uh, which which leads us to the NCAA tournament. Again, this is all, you know, we're two weeks from Selection Sunday, but what do you think are our realistic chances in the NCAA tournament? Is this a Final Four team? Is this an Elite Eight team, Sweet 16? I, I would – uh, it's hard to say. I think we're probably an elite A team, and, and I would sign for that in a heartbeat. Uh, we have not been there under Chris Holtman again. When you're a football school and you talk about the basketball program, I think all you want is consistency and you want improvement. And let's be honest, Chris Holtman took over a little bit of a dumpster fire that was inherited by Thad Mata. People were transferring out of the program like crazy, and he took that and was able to build it up. I think the best we've gotten was, what, a five seed on that Kata Bates job team? Uh, and so we haven't done better than a five seed. We haven't gotten, you know, gone past the speed 16. So I think getting the elite eight would be fantastic and it would give us something to root for a couple weekends in. Yeah. Which is, it's crazy to look back on that Kata Bates Diop team. I mean, we we loved that team. We were so excited. Kata Bates Diop and, uh, Jay Sean Tate and Andrew Dockich and others. Ah, yeah, to, to think that they were a five seed and, you know, almost lost to South Dakota State, it, it's it's a little bit wild. Um, and so you're absolutely right. I think having a better seed can only help, especially in this, in this wacky COVID year. I think that um, a lot of these smaller schools haven't gotten to play a lot of the, the bigger schools in the non-conference season. So I think that's going to have an effect. Uh, when they play a team, you know, like Ohio State or, or other Big Ten teams who've been tested twice every week for the past, you know, four months. You think positive uh, or negative? I, I think it. I think it's going to affect those smaller schools negatively. Yeah, I, it probably depends on the team, but I, I would I would largely agree with that. You, you think about a, a team like um, I think Belmont is like twenty two and one. And Belmont's made noise in the past in the NCAA tournament, but this year they just the the non conference doesn't look like it has in years past. And so, does is Belmont able to pull off some sort of ep- upset? Uh, is is Loyola Chicago, who's ranked in the top twenty five, are they a team that can make a run like they did, you know, two or three years ago with Sister Jean, who I, I think I've heard is over a hundred years old, which is just crazy, still living. Um, Nate, and just to add on to that, I think another thing that, well, yeah, this this will probably help the bigger schools is not having a crowd in the NCAA tournament and having it be like a bubble effect. Yeah. Typically, when you play these kind of, remember, each round is a mini, you know, final four, basically. You know, when, you, when you're in the Sweet 16, you have, you know, the one in the four seed and then the two in the three seed. Uh, and, and what ends up happening is that you have – three fan base or you have four different fan bases basically watching both of those games so uh, by default the underdog kind of gets steam from the fans from the other teams you know right Uh, 
So, and I, and not having fans, I think is going to be huge. And another thing that, well, actually this is now a counter argument. I guess I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I think being a senior laden team is going to be huge. And you have a lot of big name programs that have one and done. Although those teams tend to be struggling a la Duke and Michigan state, but you have some of these big teams with, you know, I think a lot of these mid majors have a lot of seniors and juniors and that could potentially help. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Ohio state. Ohio state is a very, very experienced team for being a major conference team. Yeah, that, that is a good point. And, and, you know, you could even take that a step further and, and you look at some of the, some of the atmospheres that they're going to be playing in so dead, so quiet. And I know all the, all the kids are kind of used to that this year, but in large part, these smaller schools, they're used to playing in, in quiet gyms. And, and a lot of these bigger schools are used to, to the bright lights and it being loud. And so I, I like what you said about senior-laden teams, and you're absolutely right. Ohio State fits the bill for that perfectly. I think they're a perfect mix of young talent with a guy like EJ Liddell. Um, you're, you're getting to see Zed Key come in and play some minutes, Michi Johnson – but you also have uh, just some remarkably talented and, and calm, cool, and collected seniors like Kyle Young and others that make this team very, very deadly. I, I did want to ask you on the topic of the NCAA tournament, they're playing all of the games in Indiana. Um, Final Four still played in Lucas Oil Stadium. I want your thoughts on that. And then also – um, they're, I think they're playing one like regional at Purdue, one at IU, one at Butler's Hinkle Fieldhouse. What do you think about that setup that the NCAA tournament has, has decided for this year? I think it's pretty cool. And I believe from what I read is that the games are going to start at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, cause that's the only way they could fit in all of the games, uh, which is kind of awesome. Um, you know, we love to have basketball all day. So are, is that what they're basically doing? They're taking like, Oh, the entire like West region is going to be playing at, you know, at Butler stadium and the entire like East region is going to be playing at Purdue. Like, how are they exactly? I think, I think, it is. I think that is how it's going to work. Wow. It's going to be unique. Um, I'm just glad they're playing these games. I mean, it's, it's weird that we didn't have March Madness last year. I think it was pretty much a year ago to the day that the college basketball season was getting canceled, you know, getting ready for the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, just to have anything, I, I love that they're able to work it out. I think it makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if college football could figure it out with 70-man rosters, I think college basketball could with 15-man rosters. Yeah. Part of me, you know, says, why don't we take, you know, the, the three biggest college basketball states in the country, Indiana, Kentucky, and North Carolina, and why don't we just do this every year? You know, instead of having tournament games played at, at you know, some random convention center in New Jersey or, or in, you know, Wyoming – play these things at Cameron Indoor, play them at the Dean Dome, play them at, at, you know, Rupp Arena in Kentucky. Let these kids play at these uh, historic, awesome venues. And then, you you know, you can play the Final Four at Lucas Oil Stadium or, you know, if you need to move the Final Four to a bigger venue. But I think they should do these regionals and such at these small venues. I, I think that would be really, really cool. And it'd be fun for fans. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of NCAA tournament games and they've been at 
like Quicken Loans Arena up in up in uh, Cleveland, and it's just it, you know it's not the the atmosphere of college hoops. So I, I for one would love to see that. Um, when you when you look at this Ohio State team, several big pieces, obviously. Who do you think's the most irreplaceable? Who is the guy that we cannot go without? We cannot lose to COVID, if you will. Uh, I well, it's hard because I think you can make a legitimate argument for five guys, which sounds crazy. And if you just look at the box scores, you're probably thinking, oh, EJ Liddell definitely. You know, he averages 16 and seven every time Ohio State needs a basket, they dump it to him in the post, and you know he. It's like he's playing 1994 basketball there, like Patrick Ewing. You know, he just backs a guy down <laughs> and, and does a little hook shot. But I – and you can also make an argument for Dwayne Washington, but I'm tempted to not make that argument, especially after he kind of blew the end of the Michigan State game. I think Justice Suing offers a lot with his, you know, veteran experience. I think he's kind of tailed off a little bit with his scoring. He's down to 10.3 points per game. Earlier this year, he was like 16 points a game. But, Nate, I'm going to go back to C.J. Walker. And I've I've said that kind of the – that's my answer. And I've said this from the beginning that the – anytime we've talked about basketball this year, our point guard depth is just so, so shallow. Like, Dwayne Washington sometimes brings up the ball. He's not a true point guard. Uh, Michi Johnson has played decently well off of the bench, but he's not a guy as a true freshman who – uh, reclassified. You know, he should be a senior in high school. You're not going to trust him in a big moment. If CJ Walker goes down, you're basically in a situation where Dwayne Washington is playing out of position for 30 minutes as your point guard. And then for the other 10 minutes, you're trusting a true freshman. Because uh, we know Musa Jallo is not going to run the point unless, like, you know, Chris Holtman got creative with it. But I just think CJ Walker's minutes are so valuable. And the games that he has missed, we've just really felt his, his absence. Uh, so I, I would say CJ Walker. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I, I I I'm absolutely with you in saying that I think it could be one of about five different guys. Um, I'm going to go with the the somewhat easy answer, and I'm going to say EJ Liddell. This this kid has really come on and really started to develop as a uh, uh, you know a like premier scoring option on this offense. If you watch him closely, they love to get him in the middle to high post, and he does one power dribble into the middle of the lane and kind of makes about a 12, 15-foot fadeaway jump shot pretty routinely. He's opened up a uh, a three-point arsenal as well, and and he's just tough. You know, he's 6'7", he's 230 pounds, and he, for all intents and purposes, against Michigan, against Hunter Dickinson, who's who might be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year this year, uh, he was awesome. He had, you know, 25 points against Michigan. And so I, I love what we're seeing from, from EJ Liddell. Um, and so I have to go with him. I, you know, other names to think of. Dwayne Washington obviously has been awesome this year. I love the Justice Suing one as well. He feels like he is by far our best defensive player. And if we were to lose Justice Suing and his ability to guard, I, I think we'd be in big, big trouble. <laughs> it's so interesting with EJ Liddell, too, because, Nate, we always talk about how we think college basketball, you know, almost like make college basketball great again. Uh, we, we talk about college basketball so much enjo- more enjoyable like you know 10 15 years ago EJ Liddell feels like a player from that time you know he kind yeah. of plays like Sheldon Williams 
because uh, yeah, he does have a three point game, but I think for the most part, he really does try to make an effort to score at the rim. And nowadays you have big guys who are just like the Mo Bambas of the world who are just obsessed at shooting threes, even though they're seven foot, you know, one and he's undersized and there's some genius in, in Chris Holtman recruiting a guy who's six foot six. He's listed at six, seven, but he's probably really six foot six, six foot five. Right. A six foot five power forward because he's not going to the league anytime soon. So you have you have him as a four star recruit who has a senior, you know, he's gonna be so, so dominant. I I think the exact same thing, which is a perfect transition to talk about, you know, kind of our next topic here, kind of doing these rapid fire ones. Um, how good could this team be next year? Because conceivably you know, this, this year doesn't count against anyone's eligibility, but I don't think – I don't. there's not any pros on this team anyways, probably. So you're looking at a, a Dwayne Washington back for a senior season um, with another year under his belt. E.J. Liddell's back. He'd technically be a sophomore next year, I guess. Um, you're bringing back – C.J. Walker could come back. You got Michi Johnson – Musa Jallo, Kyle Young, Justice Suing, and then hey, you add um, Malachi Branham, one of the top players in Ohio out of St. Vincent St. Mary's, who's he he feels like an easy 15 points a night as a freshman type kid. Uh, is this team are are we even a year ahead on how good this Ohio State basketball team could be? It's definitely unprecedented because if if this was a normal year, we'd be losing, uh, we'd be losing Seth Towns, C.J. Walker, and Kyle Young. Forgot about Seth Towns. Yeah, uh, who's you know he, he had a little bit of an injury. He's definitely trying to work his way back slowly. Columbus kid coming back to home from Harvard, but um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Uh, you know, it's almost like there's too many cooks in the kitchen at that point. But I think what we are seeing and. Caleb Weston, I feel like we've kind of crapped on him a little bit too much, uh, you know, o- over the years in this podcast. But he he kind of hogged the ball a little bit in big spots and was a little too trigger happy. And we're seeing guys all over the place getting shots. I think they're sharing the ball well, which is largely why this team has been so good offensively. So I don't look. They can't get much better offensively. They're third in the Ken Palm offensive rating. So I'm thinking next year. What happens to this team defensively? How does this team defensively get better? I think, as you mentioned, having a guard coming in, playing get better at defense on the perimeter, maybe Zed Key gets a little bit more maturity on the inside. EJ Liddell gets better on the inside defensively. So I think this team could take a big, big leap defensively and then end up overall you know, even better than they are now. Because I think we're both, you know, I don't think that they're really a top 10 team. I think they've just played really well and they've benefited from having seniors and juniors on the team. Um, yeah. But I, but by no means, this team is not like top 20 in the country in terms of talent. Seth Towns, I'm glad you brought him up. He, yeah, he is still probably only playing at 75, 80%. If the Buckeyes can get him back to 100%, and then you have a fully healthy uh, Seth Towns, you have EJ Liddell next year, Justice Suing, um, we're, we're, we still kind of lack the bigs. I guess you could insert uh, Zed Key into the starting lineup, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, it feels like this team's a year away. And, and in fact, 
the the thing that I want us to look forward to, and it, it's probably going to be a one hit wonder, you know, one time, one year thing. But in the year 2022, the number four player in the entire class, his name is Chris Livingston. He plays at Akron Bookdale High School. Um, and he's committed to the Buckeyes, and I think that commitment's going to stand. He feels kind of like a, as big a recruit as Jared Sollinger, but this Chris Livingston kid, he's 6'8", he can shoot it, and this past year in high school, he averaged 32 points a game, 17 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals, 4 blocks. And to think of a guy with that kind of skill set coming to play with Ohio State, and Ian Liddell still going to be there then. Um you know, Malachi Branham's going to be there. Michi Johnson's still going to be there. Zed Key's still going to be there. The, the next few years could be very, very good to Ohio State basketball. So you're thinking it can kind of be like the Jared Sollinger as a young – and Aaron Kraft as young guys and, like, you know, John Debor and Lighty as, like, older guys. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the good mix of, right. of young – That's exactly and, it. Yeah. That, that is – that's the best recipe for, for national championships. I, I think we've seen that in the past. Even, you know, Coach K has gone the direction of getting, you know, the one and done since probably 2007. And the one time they did win a national championship, it was, I, it was like, you know, the seniors on the roster that were making the biggest difference. So, right. um, I, I, yeah, I, I totally feel that. And, and same thing with Gonzaga, too. Like, Gonzaga is so good. And, yeah, they have, you know, a, a few – they have what three or four NBA players on their entire team, but only one of them is, is a true freshman. Right, right, exactly. And and even look at the last two Ohio State men's basketball teams that made the national championship. We've had two in the last fifteen years, which is an impressive feat, if you ask me. The one, uh, Greg Oden, Mike Conley team, both lottery picks, but they had Ron Lewis, uh, Jamar Butler and Ivan Harris, all juniors and seniors on that team to help balance them. And then you look at the 2011 team, and like you said, Jared Solinger was kind of the guy, but also surrounded with, um, you know, some of those veterans, John Diebler, David Lighty, William Buford types that really steadied the ship. And so I'd be interested to see if Ohio State can pull off that feat again. One other name to, to look out for, number one prospect in the 2021 class for college basketball, Chet Holmgren out of Minnesota. He's a seven-foot-one uh, center who can shoot it but is also uh, very talented in the paint. He, he His final three is Ohio State, Gonzaga, and Michigan. Uh, so interesting, you know, I, I don't know if Ohio state's considered the favorite. I think Gonzaga is, he went to school with Jalen Suggs, but that would certainly be a nice pickup. Dude, this guy is so lanky. Oh my gosh. How is so he, lanky. how is he a five-star recruit? He looks like he's like 50 pounds. I know it's on, but he, he, the kid is, uh, he is incredibly talented um, Mike, let's transition. Uh, another name we forgot. I'm just thinking we're, we've forgotten Justin Arns, which you know he hasn't played well in in recent weeks. But that he, he's a he's kind of that John Diebler type. He's only going to be a junior next season. See what kind of happens with with that guy. Um, let's transition here to a couple of quick football questions. Uh, the first one I want to touch on. Are way too early predictions for the starter at quarterback next year? 
to start the 2021 season. Then I'm going to take it a step further. Who's the starting quarterback for Ohio State in 2022? Ooh, uh, it's hard to, you know, I feel like there's no information that we're working off of. You know, you can't even count, like, who got snaps last year because it was kind of all over the place. I guess you could argue that the one time that, you know, Justin Fields missed a meaningful play, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud was the guy. So, like, by default, I think a lot of people were going in that direction. I guess I'll say CJ Stroud, but this is a giant, you know, Joey Bosa shrug because I really have no idea. Uh, and, and I feel like we're just kind of throwing darts at this point. But I'm tempted to say CJ Stroud because I feel like he fits uh, what Ryan, Ryan Day wants to do offensively better than any of the other guys and has also been in the system for a little bit. I, I am with you there. I'm actually going to kind of give a bold prediction here, and it's not one that I'm like overly excited about. But I, I think very realistically what will probably happen is that uh, C.J. Stroud wins the starting job this year, 2021. He's the quarterback in 2022 as well. And Quinn Ewers is going to come in. And it's just, it's essentially going to be like C.J. Stroud either goes pro or he loses his job the next year to Quinn Ewers. Um, maybe he even loses it next year. I don't know. But I, I think it's likely that – a guy like Kyle McCord ends up transferring. Um, and and I think I have a weird feeling Jack Miller is going to stick around, just wants to be a program guy. But that's kind of my prediction. I, I think I, it seems like, and, you know, it's still early, but it sounds like we should be able to hold on to Quinn Ewers, uh, a five-star quarterback's committed to Texas, who was kind of our biggest competition for him. And a guy like Quinn Ewers, you have to get on the field you know, immediately. So um, that's kind of my, my prediction for, for the quarterback position. It's going to be fun to watch whoever's in that role. We can agree. Mike has lots and lots of talent around them. Yeah. I feel like even me or you could, could maybe, you know, throw the pigskin around for 130 yards with, with those weapons. Yeah, absolutely. And and in that half the battle, I mean, Mac Jones, uh, he's going to be drafted in the top 15 of the NFL draft. But if, if we're being completely honest, what did Mac Jones really show this year? He was throwing to probably the two best wide receivers in all of college football. He had maybe the best running back in all of college football. His offensive line won the, uh, the best offensive line award. I mean, he, it wasn't too hard for that guy. And so Ohio State has a lot of the same recipe could be very easy for a first-year starter, whoever that might be. Uh, last one here, Mike. Uh, what's going on with Justin Fields? I feel like that guy keeps slipping in mock drafts. What's the deal? I think there's a little bit of prospect fatigue that tends to happen, and this is even happening with Trevor Lawrence too. Because like after you know Clemson lost, people were saying, "Oh, is, is Trevor Lawrence not even going to be the number one pick?" But what happens is that you know you have guys that are reading mock drafts, myself included, you know, three years out, I'm already looking at like 2022 mock drafts. And ever since Justin Fields came on the scene for Ohio state, he was projected as a top five, top 10 guy. And there was a lot of hype around him. And I think as a result, what happens is more people start to look at him with a you know, fine tooth comb and, and watch tape and start to get more critical of his decisions. And he, Justin Fields was great for us this past year, but he didn't live up to what he did two years ago. How could he? You know, he was hit 40 touchdowns and, you know, one interception. 
So as a result, I think that people just, he didn't live up to his own expectations. He had a few red marks and people are holding that against him, but we're biased, but I would be very hesitant to draft Zach Wilson, a guy who in his biggest game of his year against BYU or against Coastal Carolina came up short. Yeah, I, it seems to me like some of these draft gurus just overthink this stuff. I mean, it, uh, Zach Wilson is one thing. Moving him up, sure. I know there's the comparisons to Pat Mahomes, which – I just think is dangerous, but there's a comparison to Pat Mahomes, but for him, even it's like, what kind of schedule has he played? And then you take it a step further and you look at Justin Fields is behind Trey Lance in a lot of mock drafts. Now Trey Lance played one game this year and he was not great. He played a single game this season and was okay. And, yeah, Justin Fields didn't look amazing against Indiana or against Northwestern, but he did look amazing against Clemson. And that Clemson team is – defense is full of pros. So I, it just feels to me like they overthink these things and overcomplicate these things. I've even heard, you know, some, some GMs would consider taking Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. Are you kidding me? That, that's ridiculous. He also had a really, really good offensive line relative to the competition. Like Alabama flat out had the best offensive line in the country, but BYU's offensive line was just mauling people. If you, I, I watched probably every BYU game because I was just so happy college football was back. I was watching all of these Friday <laughs> night games, you know, staying up until 1 a.m., watching uh, BYU beat New Mexico by 35 points. And they were just, you know, dump trucks. They were just mauling people over, but – I think sometimes also these guys want to get quicks. A lot about a lot of the mock drafts is quick bait. So Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, he has Trevor Lawrence going one. Okay, that's fine. And Falcons trading up to two to get Zach Wilson. What? And then, you know, he has uh, – I'm trying to see where he has Trevor Lawrence – or Justin Fields. Justin Fields going to the Niners at seven with a trade. I guess the Niners trading up with Detroit. Uh, I mean, for Justin Fields – career that would be pretty awesome yeah yeah i mean i I'd, I'd sign up to watch him and he'd be instantly surrounded by a team with lots of talent but it's kind of like you know i guess maybe he sits a year and jimmy they figure out if jimmy g's the guy or not but even you know it's same deal with the falcons they have matt ryan i know matt ryan's getting old but i i think that you're right they love to to make this thing very clickbaity. Uh, and and something else I've noticed in recent years, the amount of quarterbacks that they put in just the top 10 picks is ridiculous. You know, what happened to the years where there were at least five interior defensive linemen or offensive tackles taken? It feels like those years are, are behind us. Yeah, the quarterback has just become so much more important. I, I guess people are thinking, hey, we have a top 10 pick. We have a chance to get one of these guys, and we have to pounce on it because you just can't win with you know not having a great quarterback anymore. Uh, look what happened to the Panthers. The Panthers' roster is pretty solid, but with Teddy Bridgewater, they I think they won like five games this year or something like that. Yeah. So you just don't it, – it's tough. Uh, it, it's tough to do. Um, also, the other guys in the top 10, just to kind of talk about – talk this through – Devontae Smith, number three to Miami. I still don't know what to make with Devontae Smith. I know he destroyed us in the national championship, but he just seems like a guy that 
with his size, it would be a little bit tough to see him transition to the NFL and, and be right. a guy that effective at number three. Another guy at college football didn't win the Heisman, but Sammy Watkins, remember? And the, the Bills took him number three. He dominated college football. Wow, yeah. He just never ended up being that good in the NFL because he didn't have the size. Yeah, I was going to say, he's kind of the same deal. He was lightning quick. And, yeah, I mean, we watched Sammy Watkins destroy Ohio State firsthand in the 2013 Orange Bowl. But he, you know, he's at best a third or fourth receiver for the Chiefs now. He's, he's not much of anything. I, I'm with you there. I, I'm taking, I think, in my mind, Devontae Smith. And like you said, an incredible season last year. Credit to him. But I'm taking Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase before I'm taking Devontae Smith. And what, what has happened with the NFL? Now you, you have Deshaun Watson potentially getting traded. Oh. Top five quarterback. You have Russell Wilson potentially getting traded. How are these franchises, you know, not doing everything they can to keep these guys happy? Uh, yeah, and and uh, it's just so interesting to me. I, I I think it seems like all these situations, what is wanted is is control and power over personnel decisions, and I get that, but I have a hard time with it because. You know, Mike, you're going to be a doctor in a hospital or a medical clinic someday. And unless you're also the owner of that medical clinic, you you don't really get a say in, in who else you hire. And and I know it's a little bit different because it's a team sport, but I, I just I, I wonder if these players are overstepping their bounds. They're they're the players. Leave everything else to the general managers and the coaches and the ownership. What what's your take on that? I think it's definitely a trickle down from the NBA. Uh, we've seen kind of the NBA players more have more agency over the team decisions. LeBron, uh, KD, uh, you know, in, in kind of encouraging their team to make certain decisions. Uh, LeBron probably started that, I would say, like 10 years ago when, you know, went to Miami or when, whatever that was. It was 2009 or I forget. Um, but and, and I guess it's just boiled over to the NFL. I think the NFL has has – had less player control than any of the other major sports. Um, but because the quarterbacks are just so important at the end of the day, they feel like, you know, they can just hold out. Like Deshaun Watson, I, I kind of agree with what he's doing to be totally honest, because they traded Deandre Hawkins for a running back. Who's just terrible, you know, and, and a second round pick. So I, I, I understand like, you know, sometimes if, if the, if the franchise doesn't have your back, you, I, I get like wanting to make a trade, but um, I, sometimes it's just too much. It, it definitely feels like a, a transfer from the NBA. Uh, and, and, you know, and players, if they want empowerment, and I, you know, I think that that is, that is their right to want empowerment. It's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, because the NBA is a 15 player roster. And the NFL is a, you know, 55 or 60 man roster. And so just, you know, if, if you want to have say in the, the last thing I'll say here, Mike, if, if you want to have a say in player personnel moves, pull a Tom Brady, that guy takes pay cut after pay cut so that he can bring in Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski and they can keep Shaquille Barrett. And it sounds like he's going to take another pay cut this year. Take a page out of that guy's book. That guy knows what he's doing. Are you still anti-Brady now that he's left the Patriots? 
Uh, he's still a Michigan grad, so that's still pretty hard for me to get over. Who's your in all of sports? Who's your favorite player that went to Michigan or coach or whoever? Favorite wow. person that's affiliated with the university? Oof. Andrew Dockage. He went there, right? <laughs> he did. That's that's true. I, I I think it's it's between two. I I I think John Beeline is genuinely a good dude. Uh, the old coach of of the University of Michigan basketball team. And then the other one, I don't know why this is. I've just never really like disliked him. Uh, actually, there's two. I've always kind of cheered for Tim Hardaway Jr. Never had a problem with him. And then Duncan Robinson. I, I think it's awesome that he was a D3 player who made it to Division One and is now kind of the premier shooter in the NBA. That's a really good answer. Yeah, I, I would definitely say Duncan Robinson. Um, I kind of like Trey Burke, but uh, I didn't like him at yeah. Michigan for sure. In terms of football, I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know if maybe Braylon Edwards because he did some good things for the for the Browns. Uh, that's a hard question. Slim pickings for football for sure. Because I feel like it's either let's be honest, we've had Michigan's number for the last you know like fifteen years, but they're still like you know their their guys have been like d bags in losing efforts, you know. Uh, like, like right. Mike Hart, for example, like you're not going to, you're not going to say Mike Hart is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Chad Henney or yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I never had a huge problem with, uh, with Mario Manningham. I thought he was, he was okay. Um, yeah, it's slim pickings on the football side of things. That's for sure. Well, anyway, so Nate, let's get your final. Let's close this podcast out. We'll circle back to basketball. Get your final prediction for Ohio State's final two regular season basketball games: home to Iowa and home to Illinois. I think that the Buckeyes rebound. Big win tomorrow against Iowa at home. I think they're gonna gonna stop this losing streak in its in its tracks. Uh, I expect the Buckeyes to win. We'll say another very high-scoring affair. I'll say 85-78. to 78. And then I am – Io DeSumo is currently out with a, a facial fracture. He's not playing today uh, and unsure if he's going to be available next week against Michigan and Ohio State. So I will say if Io DeSumo is out, I think Ohio State beats Illinois. If he's back, I, I think I'm going to have to pick Illinois – and for the Buckeyes to finish the regular season nineteen and seven, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say they either finish nineteen and seven or twenty and six heading into the Big Ten tournament. What do you have, Mike? Yeah, that's also a really hard injury to come back from because then you have to do the whole Rip Hamilton, you know, Batman mask, which I think is really <laughs> uncomfortable. I remember LeBron had to do that once, and he he like took it off in the middle of the game because it was just affecting him so much. Uh, so uh, for right. that reason, I think we, we do win the final two games. I think them being at home is huge, even though home court advantage is not what it used to be. I think that this team is very sure of itself. I think we have the confidence of the fact that we did beat Iowa earlier in this year at Iowa. Uh, we were able to limit Luca Garza as much as possible in that game. I think we'll kind of do the same. And, and I, I just feel like even though we've lost the last two games, I think the team is coming together really well. And I just trust Chris Holtman, you know, and, and, and Nate, we talked about this before, like who's the better coach, Chris Holtman or Ryan Day? Because Ryan Day has achieved greater things. 
or Chris Holtman is doing this, you know, uh, it's almost like chopped when they give you, you know, eggplant. Yeah. Bar. They give you like eggplant, a shoelace, and an Advil, and they say, make me a dessert. And, you know, Chris Holtman's been <laughs> able to do that uh, with, with, with spare parts, a bunch of three and four stars. So I, I do Chris think Holtman made that. something beautiful. Exactly. He really has. So anyway, we'll be back after that to talk about heading into the Big Ten tournament, where Ohio State stands, and kind of the trajectory of the basketball team. But until then, we'll let you guys go. Remember to tweet any questions to us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. We will appreciate reading them on the next podcast.